house with no home. I got my grub on, but didn't dig out. Finally got a call from a girl I wanna dig out. So hooked it up for later as I hit the dope. Thinking, will I live another 24? I gotta go, cause I got me a drop. Today's podcast is brought to you by FantasyFeud.com, a premier destination for daily fantasy sports. Fantasy Feud offers daily contests for all sports and a wide array of game offerings. Play in their high-stakes $1 million NFL championship or try one of their NFL season-long leagues where you draft a new team each week. Join Fantasy Feud today and get a 100% first-time deposit bonus with promo code 4 for 4 That's 4-F-O-R-4. like MJ, I can't believe today was a good day. Happy holidays, everybody, and welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. It's already week 16 in the NFL. We're here recording this on Thursday, December 24th, Christmas Eve. So again, Merry Christmas. I am 4 for 4's Senior DFS Editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. TJ Hernandez. Merry Christmas, TJ. Merry Christmas, Chris. Uh, sorry to the listeners, we're a little bit late, but uh, we'll get it. We got it to you for some, some Christmas Eve listening, so when you're sitting around the fireplace with the family tonight, you can listen to, to me and Chris talk about football. Exactly, ain't nothing better than that. Right, guys? Uh, but we got a lot to get to today. Our DFS theory topic will be on cash game strategy myths and things that some people think you shouldn't do in cash games that maybe you should. But first, as always, want to mention that the song that played us in today was Today Was a Good Day by Ice Cube off of his 1993 album, The Predator. I feel like it's Christmas Eve. It's always a good day. It's actually... About 70 degrees here in New York City. So, uh, TJ, I know you're feeling some uh, West Coast ice cube. Yeah, always down for some cube. Uh, I mean, it's a good day. Everyone's everyone's traveling with their families, vacation, good food. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fitting song for the week. Exactly. And some football's on later, so that's yeah. good too. Um, so if you guys have been listening every week, you know that we have a free DFS subscription giveaway. The winner of this week's free 4 for 4 DFS subscription is Christopher, uh, spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-U-H-F-U-H-R. So congrats, Christopher. Please email DFSMVP at 444.com to get your free DFS sub. That's Christopher. Please contact DFSMVP at 444.com to claim your free 4 for 4 DFS subscription. All right, let's jump right into some week 15 takeaways. My first is that Lions offensive coordinator Jim Bob Cooter has righted the ship on offense in Detroit. Matthew Stafford has quietly been a top five fantasy quarterback over the past five weeks since Jim Bob Cooter took over. Golden Tate has 12 red zone targets. He's converted five of them into touchdowns. They're effectively scheming him open near the goal line. Um, and they're able to succeed on offense despite Calvin Johnson having a, a bit of a struggle this year. And uh, my next takeaway is Larry Fitzgerald. A lot of people have been asking me about him on Twitter. He has settled in as a 
chain-moving slot receiver. So he's still getting a ton of targets. Over his last six games, he's averaging 10.7 targets to go along with 7.3 catches. However, he's only averaging 9.66 yards per catch, and he has no touchdowns over his last six games. And during that span, over the last six weeks, Michael Floyd has actually led Cardinals wide receivers in fantasy points. And then John Brown leads all Cardinals in red zone targets. So Larry Fitzgerald is still getting the targets, but they are just kind of those short targets. His average depth of target is really low. And because Larry Fitzgerald started off the year on such a tear, um, he was getting a few more deep balls and he was also getting targeted a lot more heavily in the red zone. He's still very overpriced and Floyd and Brown are a bit underpriced. So as the season wears on, you know, I was actually talking to Peter Jennings. Uh, many of you guys might know him as CSU Ram. We were talking on a Fantasy Labs podcast, and he mentioned how he doesn't like to play a lot of old guys as the end of the year draws near. And I think that's a good example uh, of that with Fitzgerald. He's just slowing down a bit. I know he had, had a bit of an ankle injury, showed up on an injury report. But he's still doing his thing, but it's just mostly short passes. So that's something to keep in mind there. And then finally... Antonio Brown, I feel like we talk about him almost every week for one reason or another, but Antonio Brown, since 2013, when he essentially became the receiver that he is today, when he started putting up those consistent week-in, week-out numbers, he's been a lot better at home, and a lot of people don't know this just because of how consistent he is in general, but since 2013, at home, he's averaging 7.9 catches 115 yards and one touchdown per game now on the road he's still averaging 7.5 catches so only a 0.4 difference there but he's averaging only 90 yards so that's 25 yards per game less on the road and he's averaging only 0.27 touchdowns so he's averaging four times less touchdowns um only a fourth as much excuse me touchdowns on the road as he is at home since 2013 and that's a huge sample size so that's something to keep in mind especially because he's usually the highest priced receiver on the slate he's another guy where for optimal results you can especially in cash games you can focus on only playing him at home and you're real you're going to really get a lot more of your money's worth than if you're playing him on the road and that's worth noting because he's coming off a huge game uh last week and he's going on the road this week and that's not to say he's not a threat to blow up every single week in tournaments or whatever but in terms of just dollar for dollar value, um, he's just been doing a lot better at home over a large sample size. So that's something to keep in mind. But I think TJ actually has some more interesting stuff to talk about because he was actually at the he went and crashed the DraftKings live final last week down in Cali. So TJ, tell the listeners about that experience well well first of all with that antonio brown split so are you saying if the Bengals are at the uh at the steelers then uh antonio brown and aj green would be like the greatest stack in history with uh, oh my with, with uh aj's away splits so it that, is amazing is yes is yes supposed to do? that's absolutely what i'm saying like you know if every i think they play each other once a year at yeah uh, right at, yeah so yeah. every year just Look out for those two, but um, unfortunately, Andy Dalton's out right now. But yeah, a best stack of all time. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my takeaway from week fifteen was uh, that live finals are really fun. Uh, I, I got to go to the DK final here in San Diego. Uh, I do live in San Diego, so 
Uh, I punched my ticket just by uh, by residing here, but it was fun. I got to uh, I got to hang out with a lot of guys in the industry. Uh, finally, put faces to a lot of the screen names, and just being around that environment, uh, getting to see all that excitement, getting to see all the festivities, uh, getting to see how DraftKings really. Uh, they they take care of their players. It was a it was a really fun experience. Um, you know, just some stuff that just just great fantasy football chat. Just you know, spending time uh, picking the minds and and talking football, and then uh, a lot of other stuff that uh, that'd be uh, better left not mentioning. That you just have to experience in person uh, with all these with all these football dudes. But no, it was it was fun, man. It was a really really good time. Uh, you know, our, our industry is great because. Uh, everyone is is really really uh, accepting of each other. It's it's really fun community um, and really supportive. Uh, I met a ton of people that that you wouldn't expect that are really really respectful players that came up to me and and uh, and thanked me for for our work on this podcast. And it's really humbling because these are guys that that we look up to. That uh, you know when we were getting started in DFS, we were reading their stuff and they're coming up to to us telling. Telling us that they're listening to our podcast, so it's it's really fun, really exciting, really encouraging to to go to these things. And if you get a chance, I, I highly recommend it. Awesome, man! Yeah, it sounds like a really, really good time, man. And again, I always say, I think I said this last week, but shout out to the people in the industry as well. I know we always shout out the listeners and everybody like that, but shout out to the people in the industry that tune in to us and give us a listen and um, acknowledge our work because we really appreciate that and we really appreciate all the work you guys do in the industry as well. But um, yeah, um, but moving on, let's get right into quarterbacks. We've got a lot to run through today. Blake Bortles is 8,200 on FanDuel. He's 6,500 on DraftKings. He's officially an elite fantasy quarterback at this point. He is the fourth uh, rated quarterback on FanDuel in terms of points per game, seventh on DraftKings. Over his last six games, he's averaging 271 passing yards, 2.3 passing touchdowns to go along with 21 rushing yards and .33 rushing TDs. So he's averaging about 2.7 touchdowns and over 290 total yards per game over his last six. And more importantly, and I think this is a really great stat, He's accounted for 92% of the Jaguars' offensive touchdowns on the year. Now, usually a quarterback will account for 75 to 80 if he's a, is a really good quarterback or a guy that runs the ball a lot. Blake Borders, 92% of Jacksonville's offensive touchdowns, and he's going against the Saints, who are dead last in fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, dead last in offensive touchdowns allowed. So... This is just a great matchup for Bortles. Jaguar Saints has an over-under of 52, which is the highest of Week 16. Now, that could change if Drew Brees doesn't play, but either way, the Saints defense has been a sieve all year, and Bortles is in a great spot. He's the top option at QB this week. Then we have Ben Roethlisberger. He's 8,900 on FanDuel, 6,800 on DraftKings. He's averaging a preposterous 336 passing yards per game. And that's with him leaving a couple of games early. So that's ridiculous. Baltimore is 22nd in 4-for-4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. And Pittsburgh's team total is hovering around 28. It's currently the highest point total of Week 16. 
Next, we have Cam Newton, 9,300 on FanDuel, 7,800 on DraftKings. He's in play every week, no matter the price tag. He's leading the league in passing touchdown percentage at 7.5%, which means he's just come a long way throwing to Ted Ginn and Philly Brown and, of course, Greg Olson. Newton has accounted for 83% of Panthers' offensive touchdowns. So that actually gives you some perspective on just how good Bortles has been in terms of touchdown production because Newton, who rushes for a lot of touchdowns, is at 83%, which is still very, very good. The Panthers' Vegas implied total is above 27 So put do the math, uh, 27 points, 83% of touchdowns. Cam Newton's pretty much kind of a three-touchdown-per-game score on average at this point. The Falcons rank 23rd in pass defense DVOA and 21st in rush defense DVOA. That's courtesy of Football Outsiders. They posed no match for Cam two weeks ago when he threw for three scores on only 21 passing attempts. Then we have Russell Wilson, and he's a guy who I want to see his ownership percentage because I think the perceived matchup is probably tougher than it is. The Rams are actually allowing 301 passing yards per game and 2.3 passing touchdowns per game over the last four. Wilson has been on fire. 19 to nothing touchdown interception ratio over his last five games. And Jonathan Bales actually pointed out on that Fantasy Labs podcast that I mentioned earlier that Wilson's ownership may vary depending on stakes. He may be under-owned in, in, in low stakes or, I mean, over-owned, excuse me, in low stakes, mm-hmm. but under-owned in high stakes. So that's something to keep in mind there. So those were the quarterbacks um, that I'm looking at. And of course, I mentioned Stafford. He's been a top five quarterback, so he's in play as well. Got anything to add to <clears throat> QBs, TJ? Uh, I just wanted to touch again on Bortles. I I have heard some people say that if uh, Breeze does not play, then it somewhat pushes uh, Bortles' value down. Uh, The thinking there being that uh, there's less chance that it's going to be a shootout. Uh, That's kind of a theory that I somewhat disagree with, uh, especially in this situation where you have a team uh, like New Orleans who has been uh, just awful against the pass in, in every respect. And then you have a team like the Jaguars who have proven throughout the year that when they score, they're going to do it through the air. They just hate running backs when they get near the goal line. Um, and, and also, it's just it's it's so hard to get uh, you know s- such a big lead that you just completely shut down the, the passing game. Uh, Jaguars like to pass. Uh, Saints are really bad. And another thing is uh, it, it's – you can argue that it's actually favorable f- for this uh, Jaguars if Breeze is out. Um, if if an offense is facing a a bad offense, then that means they're going to be getting the ball in very favorable mm-hmm. field position. So um, if Breeze is out, it's going to be harder for the Saints to move the ball, which in effect will, will give uh, Jacksonville a lot favorable, uh, a lot more favorable starting spots, which is obviously going to be a shorter field, more scoring opportunities. Um, so that isn't something that I'm really taking into account too much. I just like Bortles no matter what. Uh, do you have a theory either way on that? Yeah, I agree with you, TJ. I think that sometimes we try to overthink these game scripts. We can't, first of all, it's really difficult to predict game scripts. The only reason we really try to do it is for running backs because we just know Mm -hmm. that certain running backs will not get 
opportunities if if there's a certain game script but with quarterbacks it's really tough to predict game script uh we know from off-season studies that we're looking for efficiency from quarterbacks it's the one position where we're not really looking for volume as much as other positions we just need efficiency the saints defense is the worst defense in the nfl and like i mentioned Bortles is accounting for 92 percent of the jaguars offensive touchdowns and the jaguars aren't dead in the playoff race either so they have something to play for i would think they would want to run up the score as much as possible and they have a bunch of young guys on offense so it's not like you know Bortles is this 36 year old quarterback that you're scared he's going to get hurt or or you have like a bunch of older receivers or or things like that where they're going to take their foot off the gas this is a young team that's still alive in the playoffs that's going to get to play in their best matchup that they've been playing playing in all season I would think if they have the chance to put up 40 that they'll go ahead and do it um I'm really not concerned at all I think you really have to just um not overthink things in these situations I think Every quarterback to me that has played the Saints, whether it has worked out or not, and it's worked out in every case except, I believe, Jameis Winston, but Mm -hmm. every quarterback against the Saints to me is pretty much my number one target on the week. I think that's the way it should be because, number one, these quarterbacks against the Saints are usually, you know, they're usually not... It hasn't been Brady. It hasn't been Rodgers. So it's it's usually a, a, a quarterback that's affordable. And the Saints have just been that bad at, on defense that they're making every quarterback look really good. So to me, um, I, I agree with you on that one, TJ. Cool. All right, well, let's jump into some running backs here. Uh, my, my top running back of the week is D'Angelo Williams. Uh, he's $7,400 on FanDuel and $6,500 on DraftKings. Uh, I, I'd i say that you can make an argument that D'Angelo should be the top-priced running back of the week. Uh, there hasn't mm-hmm. been a top running back that's just been so dominant that they're, they're the clear number one. And if you look in recent workload, uh, D'Angelo's been uh, most dominant in touches and scoring opportunities. Uh, over the last six weeks, D'Angelo uh, has averaged 22.8 touches per game. Uh, in that same span, he has the most touches inside the 10-yard line of any running back. He has 18 touches, and we've... Uh, we've seen the fruits of that. He's He's been one of the most consistent high-scoring backs um, since he took over as a starter. And Pittsburgh is arguably in the most favorable situation of the week. Uh, they're favored by 10, and they have the highest implied point total uh, over 28. Um, I'm excluding that Saints-Jaguars um, game just because some books don't have that lineup right now. Um, some do, but they're just waiting on Breeze news. But uh, for lines that are posted on, on Pinnacle, at least, uh, Pittsburgh has the highest implied point total of the week, so that obviously means uh, more opportunity for those touches inside the 10 for D'Angelo, and uh, if we look at the 4 for 4 values, uh, D'Angelo is the top uh, top value on FanDuel, uh, despite his uh, well, top 5 on, on DraftKings, he's only priced 7th on FanDuel, so even with that uh, high price tag, he's still up there in the value reports. Uh, another player that's similarly priced to D'Angelo, at least on FanDuel, he's a little cheaper on DraftKings, is David Johnson. Uh, we saw him dominate on national TV last week, so all eyes are on him. He's uh, $7,300 on FanDuel. He's $5,800 on DraftKings, so again, a little bit of value there on DraftKings where his price still hasn't completely caught up to his recent production. Uh, in his two starts, David Johnson's averaging 24 touches per game. Uh, of those touches, he's averaging over five yards per touch, which is um, a really efficient number. And again, we have the Cardinals in a favorable situation at home, uh, favored by f- uh, four and a half against the Packers with an applied point total, uh, 27. This is a t- team that um, 
over the whole season, but especially recently, they've they've been pretty even in how they uh, split up their scoring. Uh, running back and wide receivers have pretty equal opportunity. Uh, so David Johnson does have another chance to put up a really a really big game with that 27 point implied point total. Uh, again, a player that ranks very highly on our value reports. Uh, he's third in the, the uh, DraftKings value reports uh, among running backs on 4for4.com. Uh, a cheaper guy, a guy that's going to be uh, thrust into a starting role, uh, presumably, assuming he doesn't um, uh, split carries, is Carlos Williams. Uh, with LaShawn McCoy out, Carlos Williams is 5400 on FanDuel, uh, $4,500 on DraftKings. Uh, Buffalo's favored by six at home against Dallas. Uh, Dallas ranks 23rd in adjusted fantasy points to allowed, uh, f- adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Uh, we did see Carlos Williams um, get one game where he he carried the full load and he had 21 touches uh, in that start. Uh, over the season, he's averaging 6.4 yards per touch. Um, again, th- this is a situation where there's some risk because we're not completely sure uh, whether or not he will split carries. But I, I think uh, if you do need a a cheap running back option in a week where there aren't a ton of them, uh, then he is uh, worth rostering. Um, another guy worth considering, um, especially on DraftKings, is Bilal Powell. Uh, we've seen the Jets kind of move towards more of a, a running back back platoon and Powell is is the the pass catching back and I think against New England uh, Jets are going to be forced to throw a little bit from behind and over the last six weeks um, no running back has averaged more targets uh, per game than Powell who's averaging seven targets per game over that span again he's sub four thousand dollars on DraftKings uh, so I think he's worth considering uh, if you need a really, really cheap running back, if you're looking for a player that's trending in the right direction, and then uh, since we are recording on Thursday, if you are looking uh, for a, for a player that stands out, um, I think you have to strongly consider Danny Woodhead. Um, with Melvin Gordon out, uh, I believe that the uh, the Chargers are going to be in a situation where uh, they're going to be throwing against the Raiders. They're probably going to be playing from behind. I don't foresee a situation where they're just going to pound Donald Brown um, we've seen Woodhead get get the uh, get the looks near the goal line, especially last week. But throughout the season, he's been their red zone running back. Uh, so if you are playing Thursday slates, uh, I like Woodhead a lot this week. Definitely some good calls. I actually want to get back to a couple. I want to get back to Williams really quickly. I've heard a lot of people kind of hesitant to embrace him as a top running back play this week, which I don't quite get. He's averaging, since he took over for Le'Veon six weeks ago, he's averaging 120 total yards and one touchdown per game. You're essentially getting Le'Veon Bell for a huge discount in Williams. Now, I understand he's a little older, but if if you see the games, it looks like Williams has actually learned a bit from Bell because Williams is running a lot more patient. His cuts are really crisp. It looks like he's kind of picked up some of Bell's running style, and the numbers are obviously there. He's putting up Bell numbers, and he's been doing it all season in the starting role. So I believe that Williams is a really uh, strong play this week. The Ravens, some people are will counter that the Ravens have been a stout run defense, but over the last three weeks, they've given up a 20 for 113 line to Lamar Miller, of all people. They allowed Thomas Rawls to get up to a 6-for-44 start before he got hurt. And then last week, they gave up 16-for-76 and a touchdown to Sharkandrick West. So, the Ravens haven't been impenetrable 
on the ground, they're solid but not impenetrable. And the Steelers do have a solid running game. And Williams has caught five or more passes in most games where he hasn't hit 18, 17, 18 carries. So I really like Williams this week. And then to touch quickly on Carlos Williams, I think especially if you listeners out there are entering lower stakes tournaments, say the $2, even the $5 tournament, and you want to make Williams lineups, I think it's actually smart to hedge with the same lineup with Mike Gillisley. Yeah. Um, they are actually uh, similar in price, price, excuse me, I believe. And Gillisley has showed some pop to the point where I think the coaching staff might give him a real shot. He's only ran the ball 14 times this season, but he's averaging 10.4 yards a carry, and he's averaged 5.8 yards per carry or more in every single game he scored two long touchdowns this year so he's got two touchdowns on 14 attempts and of course that's small sample likely to regress but just because of the fact that he showed big play potential and such pop and he's so cheap and there's a chance that they could roll with the hot hand I think it's smart to actually if you can afford it to hedge your Williams lineup with a Gillisley lineup because I think Gillisley will actually be lower owned than Williams because Williams has already been in that starting role. So DFS players will be more familiar with him. So, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on running backs. Uh, Moving on to wide receiver. I'll start out with a guy that's pretty under the radar, but actually surprised me a little when I looked at his numbers and he's been standing out on the games I've been seeing too, but it surprised me when I saw just how consistent he's been. And that's Kamar Aiken of the Baltimore Ravens. He's 6,600 on FanDuel and 5,400 on DraftKings. He's caught five or more balls in each of his last seven games. Over that seven-game span, he's averaging 6.1 catches, mm-hmm. 75.8 yards, and .42 touchdowns. So those are pretty much wide receiver one numbers, and you're getting Aiken for a huge discount compared to some other guys that are putting up those kind of numbers. And then... According to 4 for 4's schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed metric, Pittsburgh ranks 32nd against wide receivers. So Mm -hmm. the matchup couldn't be better for Aiken, and I don't think he'll be very popular just because he's thought of as uh, J.A.G., which is just a guy. And even if he is, the numbers are there and the matchup is there. So I think he is a very solid play this week. Then we move on to Golden Tate. He's 6,700 on FanDuel and 5,800 on DraftKings and TJ, I got to give you some real props. It was last week on DFS MVP when you mentioned that everyone was on Calvin and um, you you chose to highlight Tate and that was a really good call. I mentioned earlier since Jim Bob Cooter took over, Tate's essentially been the number one wide receiver. He's got more targets than Calvin Johnson. He's got more catches than Calvin Johnson. He's got 12 red zone targets. Calvin Johnson has six. Um, Tate has averaged 6.9 catches per game since Cooter took over in week eight. As I mentioned earlier, and Tate has double-digit targets in three of his last five games. So, Golden Tate, another one of those guys that has turned into a reliable option uh, because of a new situation. Now, for the next guy, uh, I'm going to channel my inner Matthew Berry. Shouts to to Matthew Berry. But uh, we're going to do a little player A, player B blind comparison here. So, stick with me, guys. Player A averages 9.5 targets, 4.9 catches, 81.5 yards, and 0.9 touchdowns per game this season. Player B averages 9.6 targets, 
5.3 catches, 84.5 yards, and .7 TDs. So essentially the same numbers. Player A has slightly more touchdowns. Player B has more targets, receptions, and yards. If you need to go rewind that, do it. But basically identical stats. Now player A is Allen Robinson and player B is Martavis Bryant. Robinson cost 7500 on DraftKings and Bryant costs 5600 on DraftKings. Remember, they have identical numbers. Now, everyone wants to play Robinson cuz he's going against the Saints and that's that's a fine idea. But the Saints are actually ranked 24th in 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. The Ravens ranked 27th in 4 for 4 schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. So this is not a knock on Robinson. It's rather to say that however highly people are thinking of Robinson, they should be even thinking more highly of Bryant, who is just ridiculously underpriced uh, across the board. So Martavis Bryant just been a really great value this season. He's getting He gets the deep targets. He has Ben Roethlisberger, who's throwing for 336 a game, so always a threat to get a, a, a great share of those yards um, and in a great matchup. And then we have Mike Evans. He's 8,200 on FanDuel, 7,300 on DraftKings, and it looks like Vincent Jackson is going to miss this week. Mike Evans is averaging 14.5 targets and 121.5 receiving yards per game in four full games VJAX has missed. And that's not even counting last week when VJAX went down and Evans went nuts as well. I believe he had nine for a buck 57. So... Mike Evans has a lot of upside anytime Jackson is out of the lineup because Jameis Winston essentially just gives all of Jackson's targets to Evans. Then we're still going here with wide receivers. Got a lot of these guys to get to. Doug Baldwin. It's going to be interesting with him too because I wonder if he's just going to be highly owned no matter what or if the perceived tough matchup will knock him down a little bit or what. But he has a chance to break the NFL record for consecutive games with multiple touchdowns. He's currently tied with Chris Carter and Calvin Johnson at four apiece. Uh, Baldwin has averaged 93 receiving yards and 1.8 receiving touchdowns per game over his last six. And I mentioned the Rams have allowed over 300 yards passing uh, over the past month. And the reason Baldwin is actually scoring so many touchdowns, it's not quite a fluke, even though he's a smaller receiver number one he's got a really good quarterback in Russell Wilson obviously but number two Baldwin is dominating the red zone targets for Seattle they don't have Marshawn they don't have Jimmy Graham so over the last six weeks Baldwin has 13 of the team's 27 Mm -hmm. red zone targets that is 47 percent that is an amazingly high number for any player not even guys like Gronk or Des Bryant we're getting quite that much of a market share of red zone targets. So that's why Doug Baldwin has been able to score as many touchdowns as he has. And as long as he's getting those opportunities, I still think he's a fine play. Um, Of course, you have to be careful with him in tournaments if he's really highly owned. What I usually do is I look at his ownership percentage, and then in my personal tournament exposure, I'll just knock him down a bit. So I think last week Baldwin was about... 33% 33% owned, so maybe I had him in, say, 15% of my lineups or so, um, just to still have some exposure, but maybe not quite as much as the field, but I think you still have to look at him just because of the red zone opportunities he is getting. Uh, TJ, anything to add to wide receivers? I know that was a lot. 
No, good stuff. If if we look at uh, the relevant sample like we've talked about the last few weeks, uh, if you look over the past um, six weeks, uh, Kamar Aiken actually uh, ranks third in my dollar per target metric uh, for DraftKings. And then if you if you compare Martavis to um, Allen Robinson over that six-game span, Martavis is actually averaging um, one and a half more targets per game than Allen Robinson uh uh, over the last uh, over the last six weeks, and Martavis is also like we talked about last week, one of those regression candidates. He has uh, nine red zone targets uh, over his past six games, but has converted just one of those into a touchdown. Uh, like I said before, we expect wide receivers to convert roughly twenty three percent of their red zone targets into touchdown, and Martavis has been uh, well below that recently. Uh, so in high scoring game, I think Martavis could end up having a really big game. Good stuff. Good stats there, man. Um, Before we move on, I just want to mention that FantasyFeud.com is the place to play one-day fantasy contest. You can now join their NBA contests, which are live on the site, in addition to NFL, NHL, PGA, and NASCAR. Contests start for as little as $1, or you can even try it free and play for points to redeem in their store. If you're looking to cash in, they have a $1 million NFL Feud of Champions contest where they're giving out $250,000 to first place. Over the last few weeks, the qualifiers to this event have had massive overlay. Last year's winner took home the first place prize with a $2 satellite entry. So go to FantasyFeud.com today and get a 100% first-time deposit bonus with the referral code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, the letters F-O-R, and the number 4. So, TJ, jump right in to tight ends. <coughs> Yeah, um, before I jump into the value tight ends, um, if you can afford to get Greg Olson in your lineup, go ahead and do it. You mentioned Cam earlier. Uh, that's just a passing game that's been on fire. Uh, Atlanta has been has been poor against tight ends. They're ranked 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. Uh, Carolina is... Uh, Projected to score 27 points. Um, it's pricey, but if you can afford Olsen this week, uh, you might want to consider rostering him. Yeah, he's, uh, uh, Olsen is he's a lot cheaper on FanDuel than yes, DraftKings. He's, yes, a lot cheaper. He's 6800 on FanDuel, and they have a 60K cap, but yeah. he's 7000 on DraftKings, and they have a 50K cap. So if, if you play on both sides, I would say get most of your exposure to Olsen on FanDuel, where he's very affordable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's a really good call there. Uh, a couple cheaper guys. Uh, we've talked about this game quite a bit already. Uh, Julius Thomas is $6,500 on FanDuel. He's $5,100 on DraftKings. Uh, Saints, just like they're bad against quarterbacks, against receivers, they rank 32nd adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Uh, over the last six games, Julius Thomas is averaging seven targets per game. Uh, over that, that span, he has uh, eight red zone targets, which is fourth among all tight ends. And again, we expect this to be a very high-scoring game with a team that likes to pass, uh, not just overall, but especially in the red zone. Uh, so Julius Thomas is a candidate to <clears throat> have a very nice game this week. Uh, Benjamin Watson in the same game, assuming Drew Brees does play. Uh, he's also another nice value play. $5,600 on FanDuel, $5,300 on DraftKings. Jacksonville ranks 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Uh, Watson has 11 red zone targets over his last six games, which is the most among uh, tight ends. He's accounted for 33% of the Saints' uh, red zone target market share, and he's another one of those regression candidates that I love to talk about. Uh, tight ends we expect to convert roughly 
31% of their red zone targets into touchdowns. Uh, Benjamin Watson is under 20%. He's converted just 18% of those um, into touchdowns. And some of those have, have just been bad luck. We saw uh, last week a couple just get batted away at the last moment. Um, passes get thrown behind him, which is rare for Drew Brees. Uh, so if Brees does play, Watson's another guy in a high-scoring game uh, that's pretty affordable, that, that's getting high volume. And if you're looking for a price-saving option for kind of a punt play, I really like Will Ty. Uh, he's $5,100 on FanDuel. He's only $3,500 on DraftKings. Uh, if you go to uh, our four for four value reports will ties the top DraftKings value at tight end he's a second best uh, tight end value on FanDuel um, he's scored 10 plus DraftKings points in five consecutive games uh, this is a game with a 45 and a half point over under so we do expect a decent amount of scoring and of course we have Odell Beckham out uh, Odell's someone that uh, he lines up all over the field, uh, but uh, the the Giants just traditionally, they like to attack that seam. Uh, they really like to use the tight end around the goal line. We've seen that with Ty and his red zone targets. Um, and with Odell out, they don't have a true number one receiver. Um, so I can see a situation where uh, Will Ty's target volume goes up uh, quite significantly this week. Yeah, definitely. I like Ty as well. Um, he's averaging 4.8 catches for 54 yards over the last five weeks and that's Whit Beckham in the lineup yeah he is actually has the top floor value on the four for four floor and ceiling projections for DraftKings so Will Ty definitely somebody you could consider uh, maybe even in cash games if you want to save at tight end which is a very volatile position so good call there uh, we'll quickly run through kickers we got Cairo Santos he is 4700 Going against the Cleveland Browns, KC has a 27.5 team total. They're favored by 12.5, and, and Cleveland is ranked 31st in 4-for-4s, strength of schedule adjusted, fantasy points allowed to kickers. Then we have Blair Walsh. He is 4,600. The Vikings have a team total of 25.5. They're favored by 5.5, and, and the Giants rank 30th in schedule adjusted, fantasy points allowed to kickers defenses tj defenses starting uh with the ultimate punt the men's salary defense we have the tennessee titans at four thousand dollars on fanduel uh two thousand dollars on DraftKings. uh this is assuming brandon whedon starts i haven't seen any news today uh but yesterday hoyer only took limited reps in practice he still hasn't cleared that concussion protocol uh, so this is a play only if Brandon Whedon starts. Whedon has a career completion percentage under 58% uh, for his career. He's thrown more interceptions than touchdowns. Uh, so, you know, we've seen Whedon in action before. It's obviously when you have uh, just this this god-awful quarterback under center, uh, it's a really good spot to, to target um, with your defense and special teams. And just overall, Houston, just they, they don't have a – they, they don't have a full complement of, of reliable weapons outside of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, they're, they're pretty thin, and if they have a quarterback that can't get it to Hopkins, uh, then you have a really uh, good spot, even even though the Titans uh, have given up a lot of points, especially through the air. I think they're still worth rostering um, against Whedon. Uh, moving up a little bit in price, Detroit Lions are a team that really stand out to me, especially because of the offensive-defensive line matchup we have here. Uh, Lions are $5,600 on FanDuel and 2800 dollars on DraftKings. Uh, heavy home favorites, always good targets for your defense and special teams. Lions are favored by 10 at home against San Francisco, who has an implied total under 17 points. Uh, Blaine Gabbert has the second highest sack 
of any quarterback in the league this year with a minimum of 100 dropbacks. Gabbert's been sacked on 8.5% of his dropbacks, and Detroit is fourth in football outsiders' adjusted sack rate. Uh, so they've been getting after the quarterback. Uh, the Niners have been letting their quarterback get sacked a lot, and we know that quarterback pressure uh, is the main driver in fantasy points for uh, defenses, uh, leads to sacks, leads to interceptions. Uh, so Lions are in a really, really good spot. And then the team that's been hard to fade, the team that's been winning all the GPPs, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, they've been dominant regardless of their price. If you can afford them, they're worth rostering. Uh, they're $5,400 on FanDuel, $4,200 on DraftKings. And even though they are expensive, they're still the top uh, value in the 4 for 4 FanDuel value reports. Uh, they've scored 14-plus fantasy points in six of their last seven games. Uh, Kansas City is favored by 12.5 at home against Cleveland, who has an implied point total under 15. And Johnny Manziel is tied with Blaine Gabbert for that second-worst sack rate. Uh, Manziel, too, has been sacked on 8.5% of his dropbacks. So I really like the Chiefs at home against uh, the Browns this week. All right, so... Let's get right into our DFS theory topic of the week. This week, we want to talk about some cash game miss things that people think that maybe they shouldn't be doing that actually aren't that bad. And TJ, why don't you start us off, um, just talk about stacking and cash, yes or no? I mean, this is something that I've been thinking about uh, uh, for quite some time just because there there are a lot of situations where uh, you'll be building a lineup and, and there is, uh, like you said, I guess this myth where um, in, in order to uh, maximize your floor, you kind of want to spread out your roster so you don't have two players from the same offense. The thinking being um, that if that offense uh, – you know, just just has an awful day, then not only one player but multiple players in your lineup can have uh, really bad days, and that's theoretically lowering the floor um, of your team. Um, in a sense, that's true, uh, but also you can make an argument that that having multiple players from the same team uh, on a high scoring on a high scoring team uh, can actually save your floor a little bit. A really good example happened just last week. Uh, two of my top values were. David Johnson and Michael Floyd of the Cardinals. Now, if you take the approach where you split up these players because you don't have two players from the same offense in your cash games, uh, you probably had a really bad day in your Floyd rosters uh, that didn't have David Johnson. Uh, so we expected the court Cardinals to score a lot last week. They did, and I ended up with Johnson and Floyd in 100% of my cash lineups, and it worked well because uh, I didn't take on that risk of, of having one in one lineup and, and one in the other. I just put them together, ended up getting all of those Cardinals points. It worked re- really well. Um, and another thing that uh, I've really been thinking about this year and really putting into practice uh, comes because of my game selection. Uh, now, this is a concept that uh, fellow 444 writer uh, Jonathan Bales touched on in one of his early, earlier Bales Goes Deeps articles um, this year on, on November 2nd. If you want to go back and look that up, uh, he articulates all these points really well and really in depth. But uh, the, the basic idea is that if you're playing strictly head-to-heads, which I do, um, there is a monetary value to stacking in cash, uh, assuming that those plays are uh, very good value. It's not something you necessarily want to force. You still want to be putting high-floor safe plays 
uh, in your lineups. Um, but when you're playing head-to-head games, you have a, a interest in, in exposing yourself to some upside and not just worrying about that floor because for every, uh, every point you gain, um, that's another head-to-head you can be winning, which obviously has uh, an immediate dollar value attached to it. Uh, compare that to a 50-50 or a double-up where once you cross that cash threshold, uh, your next point doesn't matter. If you need to score 150 points to be in the top half of the 50-50 on DraftKings, uh, your 150 first point doesn't matter. You're not winning any more money. Um, and head-to-heads, that 150 first point might put you uh, – you might win 10 more head-to-heads. Five more points, you might win 20 more. Um, so I think you get the idea. Um, and then we've talked about a lot uh, this year just about correlation plays. Uh, we've talked about it specifically with GPPs, but I think it's something you have to think about uh, in cash games. Um, there is a, a kind of a misnomer that you don't want to play your receiver with a running back, your quarterback uh, with a running back because they're theoretically taking away each other's touchdowns. Um, if you look back at probably the most popular uh, correlation uh, discussion. Uh, Rotoviz did a really, really good chart that just breaks down the correlation of every single position um, across the board and how they affect one another. Um, a quarterback has a positive correlation with every single one of his offensive players. So if you have a situation where you think, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is the best play of the week and D'Angelo Williams is also the best play of the week at his position, uh, you can put those players together. And yes, you are taking on a minimal risk. Uh, because if that offense just has a completely awful day, then that's two players. But um, they're not hurting each other by putting uh, putting them in the same lineup together. Um, so th- those are just kind of some of my my primary thoughts on on stacking in head to heads. But Chris, you just have some uh, some other ideas just on some uh, myths and cash games that we we might want to think about. Yeah, definitely. And I actually want to continue the discussion with stacking because I get asked this a lot when I write up my cash game breakdowns for 4 for 4 every week, pretty much every single week, weekend and week out, I have multiple players from the same offense. Mm-hmm. And I get questions like, are you sure you want to play these two guys? And I'm like, yes, that's why I wrote them up. <laughs> but uh, really, in cash games, you're trying to have the safest lineup possible, right? Mm-hmm. So... You want as much exposure as possible to the highest scoring offenses. When I say highest scoring offenses, I mean touchdowns. You want touchdowns. You can't just rely, you know, yes, we look at yards and receptions and things like that and targets and and, and touches for, for our values. But a lot of times those, those great values are also on the top offenses and they have the top touchdown potential. So to me, it's riskier. To limit your exposure to the top offenses by just trying to get uh, a more diverse portfolio of exposure to teams. Now, some weeks where there's maybe six, seven, eight, nine teams with point totals of, say, 25 or more, maybe that's doable. But a lot of weeks, there's usually two, three, four really top offenses that are projected for 26, 27 or more points by Vegas and you want as many players from those teams as possible and I think it's a lot riskier to play perhaps a less optimal value just to get more exposure because one thing that and I've been 
talking about this a lot this year, but one thing that we don't take into account enough when we're thinking about pairing players and stacking, and this actually goes for tournaments as well, is we don't take salary into account enough because a lot of times people will say, well, you can't stack these guys because it's too much exposure. And that's not true. If there's, if they're both great values in terms of projections, then the work has been done for you. That's the projection is telling you that both of these players deserve to be in your lineup despite being on the same team. Now, if there's a situation where one player on a top offense is projected as a much better value than anyone else, then that's a situation where you play that one player. But if there's multiple top values, like you mentioned with David Johnson and Michael Floyd last week, or even with D'Angelo Williams and Martavis Bryant this Mm -hmm. week, those players deserve to be in your lineup because the projections have said that, okay, if both of these players reach the baseline that the numbers say they will, they will both be some of the top values of the week. Now, if a team scores a ton of points in a given week, it's going to be tough for players on other teams to catch up and you're it's actually going to be a a negative ev situation if you think pittsburgh and arizona are going to be the top two highest scoring teams of the week and both of those teams put up 40 plus points and score five or six touchdowns each and no other team in the league scores more than three or or four or 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 no other team that's a popular cash game team scores more than three touchdowns then you're at a disadvantage if you're not exposing yourself as much as possible to these teams, because especially when you consider, you know, what's better, ha- like getting a, a having a chance at a share of a team who's going to score three touchdowns, or having you know two or three players on a team that's going to score four or five touchdowns. You, every touchdown is six points. There's massive swings uh, when touchdowns are involved. So I think you really have to uh, kind of ignore the popular notion that you shouldn't stack in cash games. I pretty much found myself stacking in cash games almost every week because the top offenses are usually values. For example, any team, as I discussed earlier, that goes against the Saints is usually has multiple players that are top values because they don't play the Saints every week. So, you know, when you go against the Saints, your projections go up and then you have guys like Bortles and Julius Thomas that are going to be great values for your cash games. And it's kind of silly to split them up or only play one of them because you're trying to be safer. I think that's actually a lot less safe. So that that was just my feeling on on stacking in cash to go off what you were saying, TJ. Um, you made a lot of great points. And then one thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of here was using a wide receiver in a flex position mm-hmm. in cash games. Now, generally, we don't want to do that just because running backs – are safer they're more consistent because they get more touches however again it comes down to values in a given week if the projections are telling you that a bunch of wide receivers are affordable and have been catching a ton of passes lately um and and are these kind of very consistent guys week to week and they're coming out as a better values and you don't have to force a third running back into your lineup it's just you have to know the rules in order to break them. So you just want to build the foundation of the proper way to go about constructing a cash game lineup, which is you should always be looking for that third running back. But if you can't find that third running back in a given week, then don't force it because you can get into trouble with that on DraftKings a lot because sometimes 
in general, wide receivers tend to just be uh, the the higher upside guys. So sometimes if you roster a third running back, maybe say like a guy like Adrian Peterson or, or Devontae Freeman when he's super expensive, you might still be getting a consistent output, but you might be capping your upside a bit. And that, that might ultimately hurt you in cash games because there will be people that saved that running back and just played their fourth receiver. And, you know, that receiver was a fine play as well. So... Um, that, that's just something that I want to talk about. I think this week is a week where you could make an argument to play four wide receiver in cash games, depending on how you feel about Denard Robinson. Um, because I think Johnson and Williams are the top two cash plays, but Robinson is definitely in a conversation. He played every snap last week and the Saints are ranked dead last in four for four schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. But how is Johnson going to play with a foot injury? He's already, he's not a big guy to begin with. You know, is he going to be effective with an injury? We don't, we don't quite know that yet because he's a younger player. So I think there is a little bit of risk with him, but at the same time, he's, he is in a great matchup. So it really depends how you feel about that. But if you don't like Denard Robinson and, you know, there, like you mentioned, TJ, there's some question marks with Carlos Williams and there's some question marks with, with Charkandrick and Spencer Ware. So if there's not really a clear cut third running back, you know, you don't have to force one, um, into your lineups. Um, so that's what I wanted to, discuss and point out as far as cash game miss uh, tj anything else to add yeah i just want to clarify that we're not suggesting that you force these stacks into your uh into your cash game lineups but uh rather that when, when those values are there that you don't just have to blatantly ignore them and i think that's something that that people do like we talked about at the beginning of the theory segment uh, they just feel like that it's going to to lower their floor to have two players. So uh, it's not not that you have to force it, but a lot of these times these top values are from the same offenses. Uh, so uh, it does work at your advantage to to have multiple players from high scoring offenses. <clears throat> One last thing I want to touch on that is kind of a a cash game uh, misnomer, and a, again something that Bales mentioned in that same uh, Bales goes deep article uh, is uh, that you have to play the chalk or pain paying attention to ownership percentages in cash game, which is something that uh, we usually um, ignore. <clears throat> and again, this uh, this goes especially for head-to-heads, where if you have two players that you have very, very similar um, projections, a very similar range of outcomes that are priced very similarly, and one guy is a lot higher owned, uh, you have a monetary interest in, um, in rostering that uh, less owned guy, especially if you're playing just head to heads. Um, if you're playing that chalk guy, just an extreme example. Imagine one guy's fifty percent, one guy's fifteen percent. Um, if you roster the guy that's fifteen fifty percent, he gets hurt on the first play of the game. Uh, well, then now you just have a lineup where you're still just playing a a you know eight versus eight or whatever against that whole fifty percent of the field um, that had that hurt guy. If if you have the lower owned guy, the fifteen percent guy. Um, just from your your roster construction, uh, you still have uh, an opportunity to take advantage of your cash games and really jump ahead of the field. Um, you know, especially in head to heads, like I said, where there's a monetary interest for each extra point scored against the field, uh, as um, as opposed to just rostering that chalk guy and you're not foregoing much value because you already had them similarly projected. Um, so there is some some game theory to uh, not necessarily just playing the chalk every week in cash and worrying about uh, missing out if that player goes off. Uh, there is something to be said for uh, playing a guy that has a, a similar 
uh, projection, but is is lower owned. No, definitely great point. I think the undertone of all this, what we're saying too, is there are slightly different strategies while whether you're playing in head-to-heads or 50-50 double-ups because in those like TJ mentioned, you're only trying to get past the cash line. You're not getting any additional upside. So in those games, you you could be a little safer, but especially in head-to-heads, you have every incentive to still try to build the highest possible scoring lineup you can. So, And that's a situation where, yeah, like TJ mentioned, if you have two guys rated equally, your incentive is to not play the chalk. Um, in 50-50 or maybe even a double up, it's a little different um, just because you're just trying to beat a line. And once you beat a line, you're getting the same payout no matter what. So d- keep in mind that there are different strategies depending on what kind of games you're playing. And just to close off, um, you know, I wanted to talk about something that I was talking about with a friend in the industry recently is that he was kind of asking, you know, I've been struggling in cash games lately and I don't know exactly why, and I, I knew he kind of knew who to play, and, and he was he was good at picking out players, so I was like, it's probably a game selection issue, and TJ, you've talked about this a ton, but I personally think for NFL, head-to-heads are the better choice, because mm-hmm. there's only 17 weeks in the season, so if you're playing... 50-50s or double-ups, and you're playing one lineup or even two lineups per week, that's still such a small sample, and there could be a lot of variance and volatility there. And if you have a couple of bad weeks, it could essentially ruin your season. So that's different from a sport like NBA or MLB, where you're playing a couple hundred days maybe a year. So over time, your skill will show through. But in the NFL, I think it's a lot better to play head-to-heads and get a a lot – more diverse range of opponents so that if you're a good player your skill will really show through because you could like you said tj one guy could get hurt and you might have picked a great lineup but if one guy gets hurt and you only run out one cash game lineup a week and you're playing it in 50 50s only then your 50 50 potentially could be ruined unless you had a perfect lineup with some of your other guys so i think the nfl really lends itself well to head-to-heads just because of the way the frequency of injuries so that's something to keep in mind there. Uh, any closing thoughts, TJ? I think you wrapped it up really well. Um, again, a, a classic uh, rewind and, and get those, uh, those theory topics nailed down. That's really good stuff. Um, you know, there, there's not one way just to play cash games, and, and there are some, some myths out there that uh, I think are, are still to be misspelled, and there's still an edge. There's still an edge in these games. Definitely. So that will do it for the week 16 edition of DFS MVP. Want to remind you guys that we will be doing another free 4 for 4 DFS sub giveaway. So to win, go on iTunes, type in DFS MVP, rate and review the podcast. We will choose a winner at random from everyone that rates and reviews between now and next week. And we will announce the winner at the top of the week 17 DFS MVP podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. You can find TJ on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And you can find myself on Twitter at Chris Raybon. 
This is DFS MVP Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast. Let's get this Christmas money. Money. Cause just yesterday, them booze tried to blast me. Saw the police and they rolled right.